a new image for Mark Zuckerberg. The Microsoft Activision deal is going to go forward and actors in Hollywood are going on strike and warning whether machines will replace them. All that and more coming up on this live edition of Big Technology Podcast right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed format. We have so much to talk about. Ranjan Roy is here. Ranjan, I know you have a lot of thoughts about threads. We've been talking about threads a lot on this show, but we're going to talk a little bit about where it leaves Mark Zuckerberg and what's going to happen in the battle between threads and Twitter going forward. That's our A block. And from there, we're going to move on to Microsoft Activision and plenty more. Ranjan, welcome. It's good to be back. I've missed you, Alex. There's definitely there's been a hole in my heart, especially as this thread story has unfolded. And myself and we've had people on threads writing me saying we'd love to hear what Ranjan has to say about this. So today we'll finally get our chance. But let's start with the revitalization of Mark Zuckerberg's image. So this is coming from the Wall Street Journal. It says uh, Elon Musk has done the once un- unimaginable. He has helped revive Mark Zuckerberg's Silicon Valley mojo. That was evident as tens of millions of people signed up for Zuckerberg's alternative to Musk Twitter. After more than eight months of turmoil under Musk on Twitter, a certain glee erupted from those who said that they were tired of the chaos and sometimes nastiness of his particular digital clubhouse, so much that they signed up for threads, overlooking the typical privacy anxieties that come with Meta. Here's the question, okay? Is this, so obviously we know why people are going to threads, right? Um, Because they just don't like Twitter anymore. But the deeper question is, did people give Mark Zuckerberg too much of a hard time previously? Did they give him too much of a hard time? They're certainly not now. People are uh, thirsting over Mark Zuckerberg shirtless next to two other UFC fighters on my threads when I open it up. And we'll definitely get into threads, the app itself. But, but I'll admit myself, when threads has come out, it's the first time in a long time I didn't look at Meta slash Facebook with total fear about what are they doing and what are the implications of this. And I'm actually ready to give it a chance. And I think that is the greatest, I mean, short of shooting rockets into space and, you know, electrifying the vehicular system, I think Elon Musk making me be okay with Mark Zuckerberg launching a new app that grows at unimaginable scale. I think that is quite the accomplishment. And then this, so this is a moment and some have called it a moment that should be more the press um, and the detractors of Zuckerberg should be more introspective. I'm curious what you oh, think about well. that. Was this uh, again, like, okay, here's, here's the argument. And I think it's important to address this. The argument is that the press and commentators always need a villain. And the fact that they've moved from Zuckerberg to Musk, and now Zuckerberg is a hero. We talked about this a little bit last week with Alex Heath, but I really want to hear your perspective. So they say that that's a little bit you know, intellectually dishonest. What's your perspective? Yeah, and as someone who has certainly tried to shine light on Meta's practices and what, how Mark Zuckerberg operates a business, I would say in terms of being introspective, um, it's a reminder because the way Threads has come out and we can definitely get into it and it relates to the Microsoft Activision news in terms of market power and what Meta still is able to do thanks to its size and its interwoven apps and business lines. I actually think 
Mark Zuckerberg is getting an incredible free pass right now, and I think it's not going to last too long. So I think, yes, it's nice right now, Zuck versus Musk in the cage and shirtless Zuck and threads blowing up are all great. But I think like people are going to look pretty carefully at how did uh, Facebook slash Meta, you know, actually launch threads and how did they get it to grow so fast? And is this a good thing? And when you had Alex Heath on here talking about how threads is not launching in the EU and for listeners, I'm actually sitting in Paris right now and I was able to download threads from the US app store and try to use it. Um, but I actually think it's a reminder that like they are still, the company is still not willing to play by rules around data privacy. They're not launching the app and they're trying to use it. And both of you guys were in agreement that it seems to be that users will be angry at regulators for not allowing threads. But I feel it's a reminder that Facebook is still not, you know, trying to suck up as much data, trying to not respect any rules around data privacy as possible. So, so I think this is a nice little honeymoon that I hope Mark enjoys, but I don't think it's going to last for too long. Right. So, well, this is the, the the thing that I've been thinking about, which is that it does come down to product in some ways. Like, even though like Facebook and Google were doing the same things as, you know, in terms of like recommending content that made people outraged and making the sort of discussion much more emotional versus thoughtful, people liked Google's products more, so they gave Google a pass and all the outrage went to Zuckerberg. And this is okay. like a similar, well, let me, let me finish. So this is like a similar yeah. thing here where actually the, the face and the, because people didn't like the Facebook product the now people don't like Twitter, the product. And it's almost as if that is a conduit through which like they say, okay, this person is like, you know, a, a vector of badness. All right. All right. I'll agree with you that Mark Zuckerberg from like, let's say 2016 to 2019, maybe 2020, did become the face of why is Donald Trump the president? What happened to our privacy? What are his algorithmic media? All these different issues that everyone started to understand and realize and realize what had happened. And I completely agree that YouTube itself has all the same underlying problems as Facebook Blue or Instagram or whatever else. And, you know, like Sundar definitely does not take the public hit on that. Susan Wojcicki. Do you pronounce her Wajiki. last name? Yeah. Wojcicki, yeah. She uh, she was not a kind of publicly flogged villain. So yeah, I agree. Mark Zuckerberg became the face. And I think Elon Musk right now perfectly represents a lot of what's wrong with the tech industry much more than Mark Zuckerberg. How outspoken he is kind of like embodying Twitter VC tech billionaire evil guy. I think, yeah, he, he presents like a better embodiment of the things that are make people are unhappy about that Mark Zuckerberg at this moment does not as much. So yeah, he's he's a cleaner story and villain than Mark Zuckerberg was. Whereas again, data privacy, having like the messages from back in college, like screw the users and their privacy, like Mark Zuckerberg very well painted those issues perfectly into a picture for journalists. And of course, like the media, everyone having like a central character like that makes telling that story easier. Exactly. And one thing I'll say is, so first of all, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is an angel. I think that a lot of the criticisms of him are completely merited. And it is kind of a stunning about face in terms of like the way that the public and especially the press are treating him now versus before. Uh, that being said, um, you know, I think that 
there was a point where there was no penalty for saying something bad about Zuckerberg. It was almost like, you know, a gratuitous, like, take your pot shots for free zone, even if they didn't have much of a, like, they, they stemmed away from the critical thinking criticism to just a free for all. And to me, I do think that that it did get a little bit out of hand. Not to say, I mean, I was, you know, I full full, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure. Like, I definitely was part of the Zuckerberg criticism in the past. I mean, I'd said some good things about him as well. But it, it is just an interesting thing to me to kind of grapple with as we start to go from you know these two, no, but, two competing but, narratives. I have to disagree because there was also a time when he was the, on the cover of Time magazine in 2010 to like, I think he was going to like, maybe he was person of the year or maybe he was, yeah. I, rem I remember holding that issue. Uh, there was many years where he could do no wrong and the press, and that's why ignoring all of the underlying issues that Facebook, mm -hmm. Facebook was creating, giving him an eternal free pass and he was the wonder kid and the boy wonder and all that. Like, so it, all of these things kind of ebb and flow. And yes, there was a time where that reputation, because it was so unquestioningly positive that it went unquestioningly negative. And now it's kind of probably back somewhere in the middle, whereas Musk is the exact same thing. You know, he was going to change and save the world. And now the real Musk comes out and now definitely people have a more critical eye on him. But, but I think the idea that there is some necessary fault. I think that's just how stories in the world work, mm -hmm. not to get too philosophical, but yeah. like, I think, you know, like a clean narrative always travels better than a messy one. And then for a while he was the, I mean, he's been at the top, he was at the bottom. Now he's kind of in the middle, maybe, maybe a little higher than the middle. When I was sitting down with Nick Clegg for the podcast in Davos last year, um, just a fun sentence to the say. Davos He's the VP flex. of Global <laughs> Affairs. Alex with the Davos flex. <laughs> have to drop it when you can. Yeah. VP of Global Affairs at Facebook, or I think he's the EVP there. Basically, he's he's running you know policy and and public relations there. And uh, I asked him. Well, it was just when Elon had closed the deal, and I asked him, "So, are you happy?" And uh, the smile that he gave was pretty indicative, even though he uh, <laughs> he even though he was very politically correct about it. So let's talk a little bit about um, Twitter's counterpunch. Uh, this week, Elon Musk and Twitter started paying creators, uh, sometimes above twenty thousand uh, dollars. The people, obviously, the top tier, uh, but they pay. They're, they've been paying them um, an ad share for the ads that appeared in the replies to them. Uh, people are saying, "Well, this is the counterpunch. It's going to get some of the more interesting creators to stay and invest even more on Twitter, and is like the perfect defensive move against Threads." What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's not even necessarily big news because every platform, I think TikTok at, at some point launched, they said it was like a billion dollar creators fund. YouTube has been very successful at both using monetary rewards and using engagement rewards for creators and to build out their own creator community. So I think every platform actually is very strategic and smart about giving money to creators. I think Twitter probably has been the worst at it or it's been non-existent. So, so to me, that's not as interesting. I did see though, like, I mean, the questions ra are raised though, who are these high, high profile users? And I think it's gonna be pretty interesting to watch or try to understand uh, who he's paying. But in some ways, think about when Substack the uh, launched and who they chose to give the advances to. Again, Substack, the newsletter platform, 
famously paid some people, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, even maybe over a million dollars to come to the platform. And again, it was successful. It it did what it had to do. They it was essentially an advance. And then they would start taking a cut of their subscription fees going forward. So I think that strategy, when executed well, it can work, but it also helps define exactly what you want that platform to be, because who you choose to pay will be exactly what that platform will become. So the narrative has been that all the Musk's payments have actually gone to right-wing influencers. But there's all, yeah. the other side of that is that like anybody on the left has left, right? If they've declined their use, they don't want to brag about getting paid by Musk, they're on Blue Sky, they're on Threads. So like, is it a choice by Musk or is it a user choice of exit? Yeah, no, no. That, that's why to me, again, like when a platform chooses to pay creators, there it's it's like no different to me than a magazine choosing who to hire to write there or who the New York Times choosing who to give space to for their opinion. Wait, pieces. so you think like, this is editorially driven and not algorithmically driven? Of course it is. Hmm. I mean, come on. They're not paying their Twitter is not paying like half of its vendor bills. The choice to actually pay a specific creator, of course, will be editorially driven. I mean, I, I think know. that it's I think it's been much. I don't think that Twitter said, let's go pay all the right wing influencers because that just turns it into true social. I think they, they probably paid across the board, but some of the people on the left or even the center had a feeling that if they tweeted like even Brian Krasnerstein, I think he's a left guy he tweeted no, 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 his... no. He, he's a, I think he has been the perfect symbol of like the horseshoe theory of engagement where yes there he was like the ultimate resistance tweeter for a long time but now he's come pretty much around just mm. responding to musk being friendly with musk so i think he actually represents okay right versus left wing i think is less relevant than engagement thirsty willing to kind of like respond to musk for the engagement I well, think that's that's a, that's a cop out come on teller. like if he's coming at it from the left he got paid he's shameless enough to tweet his his twitter it's not payout the left though it's There's, not the okay. left all right it's anyway not, it's, it's yeah i'll just say this i think that like that the tr people on the traditional left who got those payments from musk and there must have been some they, they're not publicizing it like it, it just does it's not going to show it's not going to show what they wanted to show all right, I, I, I'm okay with that and understanding that because yeah, it, it would not be a badge of honor at this point right. to uh, say you took 20k from Musk. So what do you think? So so now we can take a little bit of time and we'll just do it quickly. But I I've been eager personally to hear about your thoughts about Threads. You actually texted me, you know, from Romania saying that okay. like this is the Thank biggest you. tech story of the year. So all right, what makes it that? This has been so incredibly fascinating for me to watch both while I am on vacation um, <laughs> and like trying to keep up with it. But I, so first, when you download it, the fact that to me, it blew my mind. And again, talking about how Mark Zuckerberg's re, uh, image has been rehabilitated. But then in terms of like pure Facebook, like, uh, you know, marketing power, my Instagram, it's already loaded up, ready to sign in. I don't actually have to sign up. I still don't know whether it's already created the account because it, it basically signs in automatically. It's even populated my Instagram profile. Then my entire Instagram feed, it, it, it's trying to nudge me to follow all of them, even though at, when I signed up, it was like right at the moment it was available. I knew my wife at the top was not 
on threads. So clearly, hmm. you know, it's taking advantage of that social graph. Then I end up on the feed and oh my God, it was like the perfect manifestation of just brandy influencery awfulness that like I, what I have loved Twitter because it is not literally the first thing was like Paris Hilton tweeting <laughs> to Taco Bell, like good night, hun or something like that. And then like that annoying, uh, it's like Spotify saying I am music. I don't know, like all these like annoying memes and brand social media managers having to, you know, like they were told by their senior managers, get on threads, you got to be involved here. So to me, the feed already, and this is before I followed a single person, but clearly it's, and it was clear they are taking the algorithm. I had some sports highlights. I had like, it was clear they were taking the, using my Instagram following to build my algorithmic feed, which again is pretty smart and masterful and scary. Um, but again, for them to build a product and oh, like get past the zero start problem where you join a new network and you have no one to follow, you have no feed, it's brilliant from their side. But then, you know, a few days later, it's the same thing. It's recycled stuff from Twitter and Reddit. It's brands trying to be funny, which gets old, which is good in like short spurts, but is not that engaging over time. So yeah, th th those are my initial thoughts. Do you think it has staying power? Uh, this is what's, so this is what's interesting to me. I think th the brand and advertising side of this is brilliant. I think this is an existential threat to Twitter's business. I think Mark Zuckerberg did win the cage match metaphorically already because like every brand, it is the perfect place for brands. It's this like saccharine, simple, moderated, brand-friendly place. So every advertiser already is salivating over the platform and will continue to. And the moment they ask for monetization, they have a better monetization engine than anyone else in the business. Yes. And the second they turn it on, every brand will be running to get there. So Twitter's Linda Yaccarino, God help her, like, I mean, for this to happen after her joining, and then meanwhile, uh, Elon is posting dick measuring contests with Zuck and whatnot. Like, I think from a business standpoint, it has huge staying power. Uh, I think you made one of the smartest points of, uh, and it's rare that I'll say that, but- <laughs> I'll take uh, <laughs> it when I can get it. <laughs> I, uh, I, to me, this, but from a user standpoint, this more likely replaces Instagram than Twitter. Because Twitter for me, slash, I would put Blue Sky as a bigger potential long-term threat to Twitter. Because when I'm on Blue Sky, it's the same thing as Twitter. It's some of the same people I'm interested. It's, it's people I don't really know for the most part, but people I find very interesting saying interesting things. That is as far from what Threads is for me. But... Threads, seeing some brand, especially the more and more the feed does feel visual, seeing some nice photos and meme videos and stuff from people you, you know, like that is interesting that, that, but that's more what I would use Instagram for whether they can get people to actually post like their life on it, the way Instagram, the, the purpose that currently serves, that will be interesting. And, and I'm curious, cause like, I still think back when Facebook first launched stories, when Instagram first uh, launched the Snapchat clone of stories, I remember 
how like aggressively they push people towards it. When they started Facebook stories on Facebook blue launch and wasn't getting enough engagement and people basically getting tricked into, if I post an Instagram story, it will repost onto Facebook blue stories. Like the way they work all this stuff together, mm -hmm. I think at some point they could easily just turn on like post to Instagram, auto post to threads. Exactly. And then suddenly that can become like the place you go to, to see what people are up to in life. And I would much rather see what my friends and family are up to in life on a threads like format. Mm -hmm. than the, the current Instagram app has gotten more and more convoluted with reels and stuff like that. So, so I think overall bigger threat, and I don't even know if it's a threat. They, they have shown an ability to, you know, like allow Instagram to become the premier destination and let Facebook blue decay a little bit. So maybe they will be okay making threads the new hot place. Yep. I, I agree. I think that's what's going to happen, that it's going to largely take from, from Instagram, but it could take from Twitter too. And your point about this being a, a great place for advertising uh, is, is spot on. In fact, um, just the second that we finish recording this, I'm about to send out a big technology newsletter where uh, Chief Revenge Officer Doug and I uh, spent the week speaking with advertisers. And the quotes that they give are, are really unbelievable in terms of how eager they are to advertise on this platform here. I'm just gonna read a couple of them for you. I'm just gonna pull it up here. I also will note that I love that Doug has officially become Chief Revenge Officer and it's stuck. So for those listening, Doug is our intern on big technology this summer. He's coming from NYU Journalism. He's very talented. And yes, we've just promoted him to chief revenge officer. And do not mess with Doug. That's no, you can't. You can't. Okay, so here's here's some some quotes from advertisers. Um, I'd for sure start to test immediately because it's meta. Generally trust them in every placement they have. This is another one. They're always making updates to improve targeting and placements and ad optimization. Another. They already have better ad technology from a marketer's perspective than Twitter. Facebook's ads, technology, and interfaces are much better than Twitter's. And one more. We'll be ready to jump in as soon as Meta rolls out advertising on threads. We are communicating with them currently about launch. Many of these folks are saying, you know what? Like, we think that this is going to come by the fourth quarter. And I mentioned this on the last pod. I think that's spot on. I think Zuckerberg said, listen, like, we are going to wait till we're on track to hit a billion users. You can already make the argument that they're on track to, to hit that billion and they're they're a publicly traded company. Wall Street's going to want its returns. So I think, but the real question is, can they build audience outside of Instagram's current audience? I think you hit on it perfectly. Because if they can't, then it's just another way to buy Instagram ads and on an, on a product that's not as sophisticated. They really do need to pull Twitter's audience in order to make this work from a money standpoint. I think there's already evidence that they're doing some of that, but but that's really where the rubber is going to hit the road for Meta and this product. Well, let's talk about the user growth because there's a couple of points on it. Again, fastest to, I think it was 100 million users in five mm -hmm. days. And to me, the kind of most comical thing is Mark Zuckerberg said, we did that with no promotion. So <laughs> let, let's yeah. unpack that a little bit. Because first of all, to me, again, how aggressive that signup flow was as an existing Instagram user, the moment you download the app, everything works very perfectly in an aggressive way from your existing feed. So, so getting a new user when you have the entire 3.2 billion users using your product, I think on a daily basis, 100 million is not that exciting or impressive. But to me, what's more interesting, uh, this is, I'll get, go a little bit 
out there on this one is I've, I've talked about this a few times in the past. There have been these moments where when Meta slash Facebook decides we want to make something happen, suddenly the entire world is talking about it. After they've renamed themselves to Meta and went all in on the metaverse, suddenly NFTs become a huge thing, crypto price boom. When they control the narrative, they control the media, like what article, if I write about threads, will it land and get traction on Facebook and Instagram? They control the algorithm. Mm -hmm. They control the algorithm. So, And to me, I don't even say that as a conspiracy theory. I say that as normal business practice, like juice up threads a little bit in the Instagram and Facebook algorithm, then every writer will be happily covering the story. Again, we're talking about it right now. I recognize that. But like they control the narrative. So also getting it to a point where everyone in the world is talking about it, they can turn the dial on that. Like even I remember after the TikTok hearings, and I was pretty disappointed the New York Times wrote about this almost as though it was this organic surprising thing that the TikTok CEO- I remember this, yeah. Yeah, the TikTok CEO went from like 5,000 to like 10 million followers on TikTok. Yes, they can do that. Like they can and suddenly became kind of like a heartthrob and all these TikTokers are like like praising him. Yes, they can control what videos get seen and which accounts to push. So, So again, the idea that threads organically grew without any promotion, I think is a bit disingenuous. And I actually, to me, the one thing that could kill its staying power is I actually think it was a mistake to grow this fast. Because you get all the hype, you get the users and, and you get the energy. But to me, a social platform requires some kind of community, some kind of like vibe to use the word that like, you know, and maybe Blue Sky, it's been annoying how closed off it's been, but still it's actually been active among the people I know who use it. It's still a place where it has like a very specific thing I go to for it. Like think about, do you remember Facebook Bulletin? Yes. Okay. Did you ever use it or did you no. ever see one in the wild? If it was I did. I, did. I subscribed to one. I subscribed oh, to one. Like so Gladwell Bulletin or? is like their newsletter uh, uh, knockoff. Yeah, and they had like Malcolm Gladwell Malala, I think, was writing a new, you know, they had these big name launches and it just went nowhere because they went too big too fast. I always actually think about like LinkedIn when they started with Barack Obama's ghostwriter um, in 2013, when they were trying to launch the more like post-oriented efforts. I think, again, rather than getting homegrown organic stars. YouTube was the best at this. And Twitter, in fact, was also great at this as well. It's like people who didn't weren't big elsewhere, they grew the platform. They created a voice. They created a way of speaking. They, that's what made the platform interesting. Right. And right now, again, I think Thread's getting that mm. big that fast, being such a brand focus. That's why it's just like Spotify and Netflix and Taco Bell and Wendy's on my feed trying to be funny and then a bunch of recycled meme accounts. Well, you've got to build out your follower graph. I think the one thing, the one counter argument <laughs> to this is that they have a built-in community, which is a good chunk of the Twitter community that's come over to try it out and has liked it. So the one last thing I'll say about Threads is there have been some people asking for podcast recommendations on it, and multiple of you, multiple of our listeners have shared that Big Technology Podcast is something that uh, you listen to and you recommend to others. I want to say thank you. I appreciate that. It really made me feel good to see Big Technology in the mix. And uh, 
We love it when listeners advocate for the show. So thanks for doing that. We're going to head to break. But, you know, on that note, I do want to say if you have the Spotify or Apple app open and you want to show some love, if you could give us a five-star rating on either of those, maybe a review also. That would be really helpful. It would help us rise the ranks and get some more great guests. So that's always helpful. On the other side of this break, we are going to talk about Microsoft Activision, whether bipartisan uh, opposition to big tech is still exactly the way that it was when it seemed like there was a united front in both parties. We're going to talk about Elon Musk's new AI company if we have time. And we're definitely going to get to the SAG-AFTRA strike and whether machines are going to play, replace actors. Back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Ranjan Roy. Ranjan writes margins. You can get it at readmargins.com. Great newsletter. Definitely recommend you check it out. Uh, Ranjan, what do you think about the fact that Microsoft Activision is about to uh, about to close effectively and that like this big challenge that the FTC brought to try to block that merger uh, just kind of flopped. Yeah, it it is about to go through. Currently, the FTC has appealed the, I believe, preliminary injunction, the legal specific, like specifics, I'm not, I'll probably butcher, but the deal, I believe tonight is the deadline that if the FTC does not win this final delay, the deal will definitely go through on the 18th. So it looks like, for all intents and purposes, it is going to happen. And I, this is raised for as someone who has been very keen on the antitrust topic and followed it very closely for many years and has thought that the market concentrated market power is a huge problem. I mean, it's been a bit disheartening to watch. But on the other hand, it's also been crazy to watch the, you know, like the backlash against Lena Khan, mm-hmm. how a lot of people seem very kind of like uh not consistent in terms of their positions, in terms of uh, uh, how they feel about certain things that a Meta or a Google or an Amazon do. But then when it comes to just the FTC taking power, everyone reverts back to kind of like tech versus government and we're on the side of tech. So I think this is a pretty important moment because 
where how optimistic I was a year to two ago, I definitely am not that optimistic that things will change. And again, anyone, if you just on the big technology podcast, if you look at the big tech company stock prices over the last year, even on a, over a three year basis, they are crushing all mid to small size tech. So I think like and, and when you think about what they've done with artificial intelligence and how things are getting concentrated again, I think, yeah, it's, 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 it is not an optimistic time for those who are hoping that things would become a little fairer. Right. Without these seven big tech companies, which is like the, the typical Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, you have NVIDIA in there, uh, maybe not, maybe one more. Um, what is the seventh one? Do you know the seventh? Wait, it would have been They're Netflix calling it the, the past, Magnificent but- Seven. It would have been Netflix in the past, but but I think it's also been very interesting to me to watch how coordinated, because even the New York Times had a piece that was like very disappointing, where it was like- Tesla is the other one, of course. Oh yeah. Sorry, Elon. Sorry, Elon. Sorry, Elon. Um, The New York Times had a piece where it was like, uh, oh yeah, FTC chair faces criticism in congressional hearing. And it was talking about like, they're talking about basically tech lobbyists, former Google uh, longtime executives who now are saying like, you know, speaking as though they're kind of neutral parties, criticizing the FTC, talking about how they're losing over and over again. And we had Matt Stoller on here a couple of weeks ago who did lay out the case that the FTC has been doing a good job. And I think this is, it's like the narrative, the FTC is in danger of losing control. Like I definitely feel everyone is like, why are they losing? They're getting creamed. Mm -hmm. They're losing everything that, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything. But from an actual like reality standpoint, again, there have they have had wins. It's just on these very big cases, they are not winning. Okay, so I happen to have some sourcing inside there, um, and you saw some of this stuff come out in the um, congressional hearings where they were asking Lena Khan, "Are you bringing cases you know you can't win?" And she said, "No, of course not." But the truth is that she has been sloppy in bringing cases, and they haven't been strong. I don't think the organization has been run very well. And you can speak to the people inside there and many, I mean, we've seen a lot of exits. Um, and that's what that's why this backlash is coming and that's why she's losing cases. Personally, I just think that that's, that's what's happening, that it's like she's losing for a reason. The, these agencies, now there's, there's a balance, right? The agencies usually don't like to bring cases. They aren't sure they're gonna win, which is a problem because they've been sheepish and feeble because of it. However, like, you still need to come out the gate like really prepared for victory, and the and just the proof is in the pudding. It, it hasn't been what's happening, and I wonder. Yeah, like, but, the, yep, go ahead. Uh, go. I, I two things on that. One, yes, I, like I think that was the problem that for so long the idea that we could not, like the FTC could not win against big tech regulators, could not. So instead, they went after middle, mid or small company, mid-sized and small companies. And then that only allowed big companies to further concentrate power. So I think that was the exact wrong thing. And then let us it's not just the FTC, it's Congress as well. Because remember, there's three large bills that were brought up two years ago in the House. I think they got through the Senate committee, but never received a vote because Chuck Schumer prevented it. Chuck mm-hmm. Schumer, whose kids work at big tech well, this is companies. Thing, you know- and then, wait, wait, wait. And then the judge, this one blew my mind. This, the judge 
who just uh, made the decision on Monday or Tuesday night that really pushed the Microsoft Activision deal through, her son works at Microsoft and she did not yeah. recuse herself from the case. How that was <laughs> not crazy. the a blaring <laughs> headline. Insane. Yeah. It's insane. Like that's come on, forget Clarence Thomas or okay. whoever else. Like this. I got nothing else to say on this topic. Of geez, like there's yeah, nothing no, you but, can but, say. But to, the the yeah, go ahead. To me, that's the second part. Is it's a has been such a reminder mm -hmm. of how entrenched a lot of the power is that like how how far the web runs that like the FTC is trying to battle and and at that point, I still actually think that going like making these big cases. And at least this stuff coming more to light and at least mm -hmm. these battles having to be fought is still better than if they just went after like a bunch of small mergers we never would hear about if they went after like small companies that where they would necessarily win and no one ever cared and like the overall climate of how companies operate didn't improve i actually think it's still better this way well you have to be smart about it you have to like sort of you, you know who you're going after Right. And I think that like resources and energy probably could have been been used more effectively. But it is interesting. Like it is one of the things that this has sort of proven to me, um, not this court case loss, but just like the general like petering out of energy in Congress is that like all those tough talking senators and uh, and Congress people grilling Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey just were there for YouTube and not for um, and not for like the actual reasons of doing their job, which is sort of emblematic of what's happened. No, recently. I, I'll push back because even I was a little, there's like, I saw these headlines of GOP attacking Lena Khan, the bipartisan antitrust is broken. If you watch the hearing mm. uh, of Lena Khan just yesterday, like it's still bipartisan, but the GOP loudest members like Jim Jordan going after her very aggressively, that is very specific wing, but even surprisingly, Matt Gates was like talking about the ring from Amazon and the data privacy problems it implicates. Ken Buck, who's a Republican, was who's been at the lead with David Cicilline around antitrust, was very aggressively pro-FTC, anti-big tech. So I think like uh, there actually is still surprisingly out of all issues out there, this is still a bipartisan issue. Again, the problem is, and this is like, it's the narrative, it's the headlines, it's the mm -hmm. way this is, the FTC has lost control. Maybe they just need better PR or something, but but it, like it, that's been the most disappointing part to me because again, it's still bipartisan. There's stuff still moving. It's still like, it's not that all is lost at this point. And even more important, to me, the most important story was the judge's son worked at Microsoft and they yep. did not recuse himself, but none of that's that makes it to the... Yeah, that should be the blaring headline on CNBC, and it's not. Okay, that's good nuance to the story. So I think we've really, <laughs> that's important to share. Um, so Elon has a new AI company. It's going to be called XAI. It's a, a chat GPT alternative. This is coming from the Financial Times. Uh, he secured thousands of high-powered GPU processors from NVIDIA. Do we think that we're going to like now see, like, is it like Elon's like, you know, non-woke chatbot i mean what do you think is going to come of this and of course we're speculating um, here we don't know what the guy but go ahead well what, what do you think is coming out of this because for me when uh, whenever musk launches a new company i try to wait and see i think like what the main company he has is the x company right and that's going to be the universal app super app that that's twitter but this is a separate company from twitter but it's going to rely it's going to partner with it here's my perspective on it 
you know, I, I think that like, you know, Elon is running a ton of companies. I mean, from the, the, um, the story, you know, it talked about how he's running, um, you know, he's got Tesla, he's got boring company, he's got SpaceX, he's got Twitter, he's got, um, you know, uh, Neuralink, and now he has XAI, like how does one person handle all this stuff? The one, and, and so of course, you know, my instinct is to be skeptical of it. But the one thing I'll say is the guy did found open AI. I mean, so you can't no, he, really count he, him he out did. here. He did. He and did. I mean, he has the resources to buy the computing power and the talent necessary to make this work. And he has people that have come from uh, DeepMind and, and, and Microsoft and uh, Tesla and the University of Toronto. Like, I would not count this out. I don't know what it's going to do, but I, I mean, I would not count this out. I mean, that's the, thing. I, the key constraint in AI right now is computing processing power and talent. And with Elon's resources and with the shine of his name, which still exists in the tech world, right? He can get both of those things. And he has give, gotten both of those. So it's definitely something I'm going to keep watching. All right, let's make a bet two years from now. Open AI valuation or XI valuation, which is higher? Open. I think it's open still. They have a, they have a head, head start, so. Okay. But you never know. <laughs> so you, you have another AI story that you've been watching. Well, I mean, okay, for everyone out there, go pay OpenAI $20 and get become a ChatGPT Plus subscriber, enable plugins, and enable the code interpreter plugin. This has been one of the most mind-blowing things I've seen. Like, uh, you can upload, I uploaded a CSV, and not to get too nerdy here, but there was 350,000 lines. It was like it broke Excel every time I used it. And I say this, someone who has not learned to code in Python is still an Excel person. And what it did is I could natural language query, I could be like, okay, how many times does this show up, this term show up, like a count function across the entire thing? It actually writes the Python code to query it. It hmm. even shows the work. You can like uh, unfurl show work, see the code written, and it will run this process. You can make graphs out of it. You can make data visualizations out of it. You can do actually much more complicated data analysis, things that you would have to have spent years like I have with Excel to understand how to try to do. You can literally tell it to do, and it will write Python code, and it will do it and return it to you in natural language. It, to me, it was like, it was one of the, it, it probably was as like magical as the first time I used ChatGPT. I think like wow. out of all the AI hype and all the things I've seen, because again, all the text generation and image generation still lives in this very contenty place. Like for me as a writer, for you as a writer, for marketing people, it's crazy. It's amazing. But suddenly you're like, okay, this now it's for everybody. This is like every part of any business anywhere to be able the fact that this can do this, that you can do complex analyses on massive data sets that would have required a programmer in the past and it can just work. And it worked on my first try. Mm -hmm. Usually these things feel like they can be a little buggy. And again, not to be an open AI salesperson here, but like this blew my mind in terms of most exciting thing for me with any of this generative AI stuff since first using ChatGPT. And this is the thing, like people have been asking like, well, is this the, um, are we, have we seen the end of innovation and are we like at like, you know, the end of the S curve here, right? And was like ChatGPT and, you know, these generative models like the innovation and we're not gonna really press forward, but it's the application of this stuff that's gonna really get interesting, which leads me to believe that there's just so much more to go here. Um, despite the shortcomings, but it, it, it is a generally exciting moment in the technology world, no doubt about that. Yeah, no, that's where 
like, you know, the are we in another bubble? I don't believe this is a bubble. I think certainly like uh, risk management and assessment by investors of companies with AI in their name is probably not as rigorous as it should be. Mm-hmm. But to me, again, like when I this is where when I, when I use stuff like that again and I just see that happening and it feels like pure magic that convinces me we have a long ways to go in terms of this stuff transforming things. Maybe uh, I'll even have to give Andreessen a little AI will save the world. Uh, yes. No, oh, I wow. Don't. Wow. Never thought I'd no, know. I, I, I take it back. I take yeah. it back. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, so, so will it replace actors? Because it's kind of interesting that one of the core items in this SAG AFRA strike uh, has been the machines and the potential for AI to replace actors and, and, and people in film. So let me just, um, you know, give, give, uh, you know, a little bit of an indication. So first of all, I don't know if you watched Fran Drescher's talk, but uh, one of the lines that she had in there as she was, she's the president of the actors uh, union. And she said, if we don't stand tall right now, we're going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines. And there was a story in The Verge that went into even more depth, which was really interesting. So first of all, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is on the other side of this, said they included a groundbreaking AI proposal that protects actors' digital likenesses for the members of the union. Okay, now they asked the union, well, what is the actual agreement here? This is where it really got interesting. They said they proposed that um, that their background performers should be able to be scanned, get one day's pay, and then companies that own this, and their, their companies will own the scan, their image, and their likeness, and should be able to use it for the rest of eternity on any project they want with no consent or compensation. I mean... This is, by the way, this is happening everywhere, where the AP just signed a deal, I think, with OpenAI to allow it to train on their material. I had a photographer that I know post on threads. He's like, hey, uh, an AI company wants to train on my photos to learn my editing style. Should I do it? And I'm like, hell no. And then this is going to become a thing, right, where where you can... I mean, we already have digitally recreated actors. You can have AI, you know, versions of, of, um, of people on screen and... I mean, this that statement really just goes to it. Scan once, use in perpetuity. So I'm curious. Like, obviously, like it's it's going to be a very painful strike for the actors here. Um, but but do but you I th- think I, that it's, it's merited, especially on this AI claim? Okay, so two things. One, I think they should stick with it because this is a very important moment. The the precedents that are set now will define the next ten years of the industry in kind of labor versus capitals, let's say. So I think it is important. I think like probably from the labor and union side, like they understand versus the last 10, 15 years, especially with, you know, like with online and streaming, not being as aggressive and seeing what happened. I think it is important, but also that's the second point. Like to me, the AI part of it almost is kind of like a, figurehead of the conversation mm-hmm. but yeah but the stream the broken economics of streaming to me it's also a reminder just whenever you see the numbers of how many billions were lost or are being lost in streaming that the entire model was created in a broken way and then writers will suffer you know disproportionately and actors as that try yeah, yeah and writers i mean they actors, had the orange is the new black actors they're getting like 10 cents in residuals outside of like a handful of them for like one of the most popular shows in Netflix history. 
That is yeah, crazy. Exactly. Versus like imagine TV residuals. Like I think like, mm -hmm. you know, people, the Friends cast or whoever else for years or decades keep just minting money with those shows versus the stream uh, pennies for streaming. So I think it is, it's an important reminder that the entire way the streaming model developed was completely broken. But during that process, I think the actors, writers, that side just kind of went with things and mm -hmm. just let it, let it go. And, you know, just kind of the assumption, and probably a lot of them were making a lot of money that was possibly unmerited or just kind of the result of like companies making huge bets and low interest rates, of course. But now I think yeah. it's important that, yeah, of course, but now I think it is more important that you know, like on the onset of whatever this technology does and isn't five to 10 years, I think them being much more aggressive really does matter. And it's the right decision. Yep. This is this, but this is going to hurt. It will definitely hurt. And it is interesting. Like, you know, it's like when you are a union and you go to bat on something and it's not making a lot of money to begin with, like, it's very difficult yeah. to like, what you really need to do, what the company really needs to do is change the business model or figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know, I think it's just kind of tough to like try to get real wins when just the pie is smaller than, you know, than you'd like it to be. No, that's a good point. Like fighting for a broken business model is maybe actually not, or yeah, it's a tougher strategy. I mean, I or hate it's to a say tougher it, battle overall. But it reminds me exactly of the union fight inside BuzzFeed News, where like they unionized when I was there. And I was like, oh, guys, like we're losing it's, a ton of money. Yeah. What are we, I mean, you know, by, by all means, like do the union, but like, that's not going to crazy fights over like your cost center. So anyway, I'll end, yeah. I'll, I'll end with this. Um, so <laughs> this is what the um, actors union folks cannot do. Um, they can't do tours, personal appearances, interviews, conventions, fan expos, festivals for your consideration events, panels, premieres and screenings, award shows, junkets, podcast appearances, poor one out there, social media and studio showcases. And someone quoted that tweet from Variety and said that it looked like a Jonah Hill text <laughs> at all the <laughs> restrictions that they have. But I, I, that's very tough. Boundaries, boundaries. Tough. Yep. It can yeah. be tough to have solidarity on all those restrictions. So, I mean, no podcasts, come on. I mean, no, hold on. Yeah, like, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm with them, but no podcasts, no come social on, media. We, what we, are they going to do? What's going to They can't even, can they thread? They can't thread? Well, they can thread on their, wait, sorry, the AI cannot thread? No, this is just person for the humans. They, but the, oh. the union people are agreeing not to do. I mean, I guess you, you don't thread on behalf of your work, but you just thread on behalf of your personal space or ideas. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's Tough an interesting one to try to battle. Yeah. Ron John, another great one. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Europe. Thanks for being here with us. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you to our chief revenge officer, Doug, for hanging here with us. Thank you, Ron John Roy. Thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. Thanks to all of you listeners. Thanks for those to those on our live stream, we had a very nice, lively uh, group of folks here today. Plenty of comments. Um, thanks to folks like Pierre and Joffrey and um, Warat for coming in and, and showing up and contributing. We really appreciate it. We see your comments and thank you for those. Uh, again, if you're listening here on the feed, um, we do these every Friday live on LinkedIn and YouTube. So you can check those out. Find my YouTube, my LinkedIn page, Alex Kantrowitz, and um, tune in there. And then we also post them on the podcast feed if you're listening there. And then 
Wednesdays, we do our flagship interviews. Another one of those coming up this upcoming Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. And that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Thank you.